Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. Philippians chapter number one, beginning in verse number nine. Paul says, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth, and we ask you this morning that you would teach us your word. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. There are in the scriptures for me Uh, Two prayers that I find remarkable. The first of those prayers is prayed by our Lord in the Gospel of John chapter 17, where Jesus makes his high priestly intercessory prayer for his own. Where Jesus very clearly states in that passage that I am not praying for the world, but I am praying for those that you have called out of the world, because those you have called out of the world, they are mine. And so we see there in John chapter 17 the intimacy of the prayer of which Jesus Christ prays for his people. He prays that his people would be steadfast. He prays that his people would be unified. And he thanks the Lord, he thanks the Father for giving him a people. One of the most extraordinary things this morning for me about grace, and there are many things about grace that are extraordinary for me, but one of the most extraordinary things for me about grace is that as wicked and as sinful as I am, as prideful as I am, as arrogant as I am, as filthy as I am, I have been considered by Jesus Christ a love gift from the Father to Him. I have been considered worthy of His life. I have been considered worthy of His righteousness. I have been considered worthy of His sacrifice in my place where Jesus Christ took upon Himself the entire full wrath of Almighty God for every sin that I have ever committed, I I am committing, and that I will ever commit, and that I will stand right now, I could stand, and I will stand at that day before the tribunal throne of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and there is no condemnation on me because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in John chapter 17 is what Jesus Christ thanks and prays the Father in that prayer for us. And that's one of the most remarkable prayers is that it displays for us the almighty grace of God and that God, Jesus Christ, propitiated for us. Just think about that, folks, this morning, that Jesus Christ was your propitiation. He was your satisfaction. He satisfied the holy demands of God. And the second wonderful prayer that we find in Scripture that is a wonderful prayer for me is found here in Philippians chapter number 1. As the Apostle Paul prays this magnificent prayer for the believers in Philippi, and only with the heart of a pastor 
could this type of prayer be prayed. Where Paul prays from his heart for these people. And we saw as we've been working our way through this text, we saw that, that first of all, Paul has an abounding prayer. That was point number one, an abounding prayer. And Paul's prayer for these people was that they would, that their love, first of all, that they would grow in affection. That their love would abound more and more in knowledge. And so what we understand, folks, is that true love, real love, is based out of real knowledge. And what is the real knowledge? The real knowledge is the Word of God. You and I can only truly learn to love as we first love God by loving the Scriptures because it's in the Scriptures that reveal the true God. If you love a God of your own making, then you love a false God and you're guilty of idolatry. The only true God, the only true God to be worshipped, the only true God to be loved is the God of the Scriptures. And Paul says, I pray that your love, your agape, your, will, your love of the will, your divine love that is given you at salvation would grow. So Paul says, I pray that you would, that you would grow in affection. But not only in affection, but he talks about in verse 9, growing in education. He says, I pray that you would, your love would grow in Scripture. Folks, listen. God wants you to know the Word. God wants you to know the Scriptures. And God wants you, God wants you to love the Scriptures. And so Paul prays, as any pastor would pray for his congregation, and really as any person in his room ought to pray for everybody else, I pray that your love, your affection would grow in your education. But thirdly, we saw that Paul prayed that they would grow in their differentiation. Paul says in verse 9 that your love would grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Folks, listen. This is where we got to last week. God wants you to be discerning. God wants you to have a discerning spirit. One of the things, one of the many things that plague the evangelical church today is the evangelical church today is not discerning. The evangelical church today, many people within it think that because it's got the tag of Christian, because it's on TBN, because it's on Daystar, then it must be Christian. And I'm here to tell you today, folks, that Christians, God's people, must be discerning. We must love the truth so much that we are able to discern the truth. The church is under attack, isn't it? And the church is under attack with its, with truth. And we need to be able to discern the truth. I said to you last week, and I'll say to you again, the church could die death of a thousand heresies and would never know it. Because if we're not careful, heresies and false teaching can creep inside of the church. And so Paul says, I have an abounding prayer for you. I want you to abound in your affection. I want you to abound in your education. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to love God, and I want you to love the God of the Word, and I want you to love the Word of God so much to the fact that you abound in your differentiation. I want you to be able to discern. But Paul goes on in his prayer to the second point of the prayer, and that is not only an, uh, an abounding prayer, but it's also an approving prayer. An approving prayer. Look at verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Paul's prayer, Paul's point, and Paul's prayer for his people is that their discerning love 
would lead them to the next point of this prayer. And Paul in verse 10 uses the word that, and that is again another purpose clause. Paul says, I'm praying this way for this purpose. And the folks, listen, this is a continual string. Paul's purpose in praying for these believers is so that their love would grow based on the truth of God's word so that they would be discerning so that in verse 10 they would they that ye may approve things that are excellent the word approve there is a greek word dogimazo and it literally means to put to the test it means to examine Paul prayed for this church that their love would abound through the truth of God's word and that they would be so discerning that they put everything to the test. Folks, listen, church, the more we love Christ, the more we love the word of God, the more we will shrink from what is evil and desire what is right. Paul prays that their love would grow. We need to pray for each other. You need to pray for yourself that your love would grow because of a true understanding of the Scripture that would put you in a position, church, to properly be able to examine everything. Listen, church, love for Christ and discernment go hand in hand because the more a person loves God and the more that love grows, the more discernment that they possess. Because the more love that a person has for God that is informed by the Scriptures, the more a person will be concerned with what honors God. And to make sure that the honor and the glory of God is properly disclosed. That's why Paul says in verse 9, this I pray that first of all, your love would abound in real knowledge. Your love would abound in real knowledge. Your love would abound in the experiential truth of the Scripture. Because church, as your love for Scripture grows, as your knowledge of Scripture grows, so grows your discernment. If you're, not a, if you're a person that's not able to discern, then you're a person not, that doesn't really know the Scripture. You may know facts, but listen church, there's a vast difference between experiential, uh, there's a, a vast difference between knowing the Scriptures and having an experiential knowledge of Scriptures. Far too many believers know the Scriptures. They know facts about the Scriptures. But they've never experienced the Scriptures, meaning that they've never taken what they've learned and it's never been applied to their life. And unless you take this truth that you learn and apply it to your life, you can't ever say that you've experienced the Scriptures, therefore your discernment is going to be lacking. But you see, folks, it all starts, it all starts with the right kind of love an intense and a fervent love for God that will cause you to test everything. Everything. I remind you again of the believers in Berea in Acts chapter 17 that they were praised by the apostle because they put everything to the test. A display of excellence. Paul says, I, I pray that you would have an approving prayer, and I, I pray that it would be a display of excellence. Look at verse 10 again. He says that you may approve, or you may test, that you may examine things that are excellent, that are excellent. Paul says, this is my prayer for you, church, that you're able to test everything 
that's excellent. Love for truth of God's word in order to obtain spiritual discernment. And you obtain spiritual discernment in order that you may bring about excellence in your life. Folks, that means that Christians need to know, need to love God, need to love the word of God so that we can think and live biblically. So much of the problem in evangelical circles today is that Christians don't think or live biblically. And we need to get to the point in our lives where we think and live biblically. Our love grows from an understanding of God's word so that we're able to test everything. Everything you hear, everything you see, you put it to the test in light of Scripture. And, we're, and that is said to be, to, to be able to discern truth. But I want you to notice the order of things in this text, folks. Real knowledge comes before discernment, right? Real knowledge, real understanding of the Scriptures come before discernment. You can't discern truth if you don't know the truth. You can't know the truth if you don't read and study the truth. Real knowledge comes before discernment. And discernment comes before testing everything. If you, can't, if you can't discern truth from error, then you have no business trying to be discerning. And therefore, you have no business putting anything to the test because your test is always going to be flawed. And where does it start, folks? It starts with you don't know the Word of God. And I will say this, that if we don't know the Word of God, it's because we don't love the God of the Word like we should. Other things are more important. You see, it's a string of events. It's a progression. Because listen, church, we don't test things by what we think or feel. Well, I think it's this way. Well, I feel it's this way. I was in a Bible study one time. There was a group of people sitting around in the semicircle. I wasn't the leader of the Bible study. I was a guest, so I had to be nice. So I, I was a guest. Well, Bonnie's smirking already. She knows, she knows where this is going. And the guy that was leading the, this Bible study group read a verse. And he ran around the store, went around the circle. And everybody in the circle said what that verse meant to them. That's reasonable. Hey, if you're going to know the Word of God, then, then know what the Bible means to you. That's the way inspiration works. And so we went around the circle, and the, and the leader of the group said, okay, we will go around in the circle, and I want everybody to say what, the, what that verse meant to them. And everybody, they all had different things, depending upon their moods and everything. And so they said, well, that means this, this means this. And then they came to me. Well, I am a nice man. Some of you aren't smiling. But I said, with all due respect, I don't care what the verse means to any of you. That's exactly what they did. And I said, you should care what the verse means to me. I care what the verse means. In its historical, geographical, literal, grammatical interpretation. Because, folks, listen, discernment is not based upon what you think or feel. Biblical truth and discernment is not subjective. It is always 
objective, meaning that the source of our discernment is outside of us. It's in one volume, 66 books. That's it. That is our only source of truth. And when someone's idea of truth and right go outside of the bounds of those 66 books, that one volume, that I don't care who they are or what they have to say, their discernment is false. Because discernment is only by the truth of God's Word. It is always, it is always objective, never subjective. Because when we begin to think that truth is related to how we perceive truth, then we're not talking about discernment anymore, folks. What we think is not necessarily truth. Especially if it contradicts the objective truth of God's Word. It is God's truth that gives us discernment that then allows us to put things to the test and to examine things that are excellent. When a believer is dominated and controlled by love for God, there will be, folks, a corresponding desire to live according to His will as fully and faithfully as possible. But look at the word excellent there in verse 10. Paul says, I pray all this stuff for you in order that you may be able to discern things that are excellent. That, that word excellent means things that are superior, things that are worthy. It's the ability, folks, to assess and determine and carefully identify what is best, what is the most important, what is crucial. The Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he said these words, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, the problem with the average evangelical day is we spend our time thinking on the wrong stuff. The excellent things are all the truths, all the attitudes, all the thoughts, all the words and, and deeds that are expressions of God's will for the believer. The things that are excellent are the things that are elements that are sanctified, that are the sanctified and holy thinking in nature. Listen, church, Paul is, Paul, is speaking of, Paul is not speaking about distinguishing good and evil. That requires just a basic knowledge of Scripture. Even the devil and the demons know what is good and evil, right and wrong, true and false. Because James says in James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the devils believe in God and do what? Tremble. And during the earthly ministry of Christ, even the demons there in Luke chapter 4, verse 41, even the devils came out crying and exclaimed that he was, in fact, the Son of God. So being able to discern good, good and evil, that's just basic Christianity. Even the demons can do that. The idea here is rather the desire and ability to discover, to rightly discover the things that are excellent. Folks, listen, we're not talking about the things that are good and evil. We're talking about the things that are good and the things that are the best. Okay? We go through life, and there may be some things in our life that are good. Right? 
but they may not be the best. And that's what Paul is asked, praying for. He is praying because the Greek word for excellence means that which is superior. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would have so much discernment that you would be able to discern between what is good and what is best. There's a lot of things in life that we like to do that are good, isn't it? I like to eat. Well, that's obvious. But I want you all to know three weeks ago I couldn't button this jacket. Now I just have to suck it in the budman. I like to eat. And there's a lot of things in life that are good. There's nobody, there's no person in the world that likes sports any better than me. I love sports. I love basketball. I love football. I love sports. And they are good things. But sometimes they're not the best things, are they? And that's what Paul prays for his, his, his people, that they would be able to put things to the test, that they would love God so much, love the Word of God so much, that they would put things to the test, that they would be able to discern, that they would be able to discover what is the difference between the good and the excellent. Because, folks, listen, sometimes we do things that are good, good in of, the, good in of themselves, not evil in and of themselves, but they're not the excellent things. And Paul's prayer is that you all would know the things that are excellent. That you would be able to discern the things in your life that are superior. And the, and the intimation of the prayer is, is that not only that you would know them, but that you would practice them. That you would take the things in your life that are, that are the best thing that are the excellent things, and you would put them in your life above the things that are just good. Folks, listen, Jesus Christ did not save us the way that he saved us just so that we could live life doing the good thing. Jesus Christ wants us to do what is best. And there are a lot of things that are good, but are not the best, and they end up interfering in our walk with the Lord. In and of themselves, they're not evil. They're not evil. It's not evil to eat, but sometimes it's not the best thing to eat what you're eating or as much of it as you're eating. And we need, we need to be able to discern the church between what is good and what is best. And not only discern it for ourselves, discern it for our children. Teach them to be able to discern what is good and what is best. Yes, there's nothing wrong with you doing that, but that's not the best thing in your life right now because it interferes with this, it does this, it does the other. In and of itself, it is not evil, but it's not the best. But unfortunately for a lot of Christians, our lack of discernment in some areas in our life prevent us from testing and practicing in our life the things that are best. You all have got examples in your, in, your, in your mind of people that you know that did not choose what was best, but they just chose the good. And it was detrimental to their spiritual life because they did not choose the best. We need to choose things, church. And Paul's prayer is that we would choose things that are vital, that are the best. 
And all this comes out of a wellspring of our love growing more and more. Love for God, love for others, and love for His Word. You know, the fact of the matter is, folks, Christians that are discerning enough to pursue the best are in short supply. Unfortunately, they're not in demand, but they're also short in supply. And many evangelicals, they don't want people that are that discerning because they're considered unloving, they're divisive. What Paul prays for with these believers, that their their love would be based on the truth of God's Word, number one. Based on the truth of God's Word, so that they have discernment and care enough not only to understand the difference between good and evil, but not only be able to understand what is good and what is excellent, but also have the capacity to choose it and practice it. Being able to test and to know what is the best thing involves the mind and it makes it diligent acquisition to the truth of Scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I said this to you last week, folks. What is the mind of Christ? How do you know that you have the mind of Christ? You've got one place. This is the mind of Christ. If you're seeking the mind of Christ anywhere else than here, you're not having the mind of Christ. I also told you this. How do you, how do you, how, if you want God to speak to you, where do you go? If you want God to speak to you audibly, what do you do? Read it out loud. Because this is your only source of divine truth. This is your only source of discernment. And we must know it. Not only so that we can discern between right and wrong, truth and error. That's basic. But so we can be able to discern between what is good and what is the excellent thing, Paul says in verse 10. He says in verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. My prayer for you, church, is that you would be able to put to the test and choose those things that are not just good for your life, but are the best for your life. We possess the Bible. But does the Bible possess you? We possess the Bible, but does the Bible possess you? We know the things of God. We read the Bible, and we mentally understand them. We know them. But does the truth have us? Are we like James says, that we're just hearers only? Or are we hearers and doers? Because James says if you're just a hearer only, he says you're like a man that looks in the glass and he walks, looks in the mirror and then he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. And it's the same thing with biblical truth. Biblical truth, folks, that is learned and not applied is soon forgotten. Okay? Biblical truth learned and not applied is soon forgotten. And Christians that don't, do not take the biblical truth that they know and use it to discerningly decide things in their life, they will struggle between what is right and wrong, what is good, and what is best. There are a lot of things that are good, but what is best? That's what Paul prays. I pray that you would be able to approve things that are excellent, things that are superior, things that are the best. 
Where does it all start, folks? If you go back into the chain of Paul's argument, where does it all start? It starts with the love growing for the Word of God. We've been called by God, according to Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2. We've been called by God, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. How are you changed? You are changed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way that you can renew the mind is for the mind to take in God's truth. As believers who have grown in love, because we have experienced the word of God and gained discernment. And because we have discernment, we have the ability to test everything. We examine not only those things that are on the outside, but we examine those things, the inner, our innermost thoughts, our innermost desires, our innermost intentions to ensure that we are recognizing those things that are superior in our life. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, this is an imperative, he says, prove everything. And that word prove there means to test. Paul says, test everything. Put everything to the test. John says in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come to flesh is of God. And then Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are prophets and are not and have found them liars. God says, I know you're able to discern. But what was the problem with the church at Ephesus? We looked at it last week. The problem with the church at Ephesus is, yeah, they could discern, but they could not discern the good from the best because Jesus says, you've done all this the right way. He says, but I've got this against you. You've done it all for the wrong reasons. You've left your first love. You've got all these things that I can say for you. You've got all these things that you do right, but you've got this one deep-seated problem you've lost your first love the godly woman and mother of John and Charles Wesley Susanna wrote these following words whatever weakens your reason impairs your tenderness of your conscience obscures your sense of God or takes off the delight for spiritual things Whatever increases the authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin. That thing is sin. Listen, church, Christian character at its highest level comes from a divinely implanted and forever growing love. Love of God, love of the Word of God, being able to discern and being able to test everything to know what is the good and what is the best. And so Paul's prayer is that I pray for your excellence. And number two, letter B. He says, I'm not only praying for the display of excellence, but for the demeanor of genuineness. The demeanor of genuineness. Look at verse 10 again. That ye may be what? Sincere. 
Paul puts another purpose clause in there. In order that, the word that is in the Greek is, in, is a henna clause. In order that you may be sincere. This is the purpose of me praying the way that I pray. In order that you may be sincere. And that has to do, the word sincere literally means having no hidden motives. Or not being pretense. In other words, folks, it's another word for having integrity. Spiritual integrity builds on spiritual excellence. Spiritual integrity builds as we are able to choose between the good thing and what's best. That's what builds spiritual integrity. Just like spiritual excellence builds on discernment. Just like discernment builds on godly love. You see the progression? It all starts with love. And just as love, godly love, is built upon a right relationship with the Word of God. Whereas discernment gives us the understanding of what is right and wrong, sincerity gives us the integrity to do what is right and wrong. To do what is right versus what is wrong. You can know the truth because you discern the truth but lack the integrity to perform that which is true. James says in James chapter 4 and verse 17, notice what James says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, even if it's a good thing, but you shouldn't be doing it because there's something better, if you do it, Bible says that makes it sin because you know there's something better out there and you choose not to do the best because you choose to do the good but you know that there's something better than excellence you need to be doing the Bible says it is sin it's also very consistent if you look at the etymology of the word sincere it is also very consistent to say that the word sincere means to test something by sunlight to test something by sunlight is the etymology of the word in, in ancient Rome, fine pottery was relatively thin and uh, fragile and often developed cracks when it was fired. Unscrupulous shop owners would fill the cracks with a hard, dark wax that would be concealed uh, really after the, the uh, pot was glazed and painted. But what would happen was it would melt, the wax would melt when something hot was put in it. Now, in ordinary light, the deception was usually undetectable. But if you were to hold that pot up to sunlight, it would be clearly exposed because the wax appeared darker. Now, reputable dealers would mark these pots with the word sine sera, which means without wax, as their guarantee of the highest quality. And when such a pot was held up to the sunlight to reveal the cracks or other defects, the obedient, faithful believer makes sure that his life is exposed to the light of Scripture. Just like those pots where the crack was shown by the true light of the sunlight, the, the true, the faithful Christian wants the cracks in their life shown by the light of Scripture. If Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is quick, or it is alive. It is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The fact is, church, is so many people in evangelicalism today try to cover their faults by various ways to appear less spiritually flawed. We, we try to cover up the cracks by regular church attendance, generous giving, activity in church function, spiritual talk, in order to appear that we have spiritual integrity. But what happens is when the light of Scripture shines its light on our life, it shows the cracks. It shows the cracks. Which I believe is why there's a lack of biblical discernment today. Because let's be real, in their, in their, human, in their natural state, people don't want to be reminded of the cracks in their life. That's why, when I, that's why sometimes when we read a verse in Scripture that God points something to our life, sometimes God, through His Spirit, does it. Sometimes God uses a man like me standing in the pulpit to give you a word of Scriptures, and you get upset with what the Word of God said because the Word of God revealed a crack in your life, and you don't want to feel that crack. You like that crack. Well, it's a good crack. Well, you try to put some water in that pot and you'll see how good that crack is. There are no good cracks. But we, a lot of us live, we don't want to know the cracks. I'm, I'm happy the way I am. But the true, sincere believer does not try to hide his cracks with works. Even works in the name of Christ. But they invite and they long for the light of the word to show the cracks so that they can be filled by truth. The level of sincerity or integrity in a person's life is ultimately seen in many ways, but one of which is seen in your children, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to paint with a broad brush here because sometimes children of godly parents rebel against the Lord, but more often than not, an errant child rebels because of the hypocrisy of of a mom and dad. Because those children know the faith that they profess, regardless of how genuine and sincere it may appear to others in the church or community, the children know that that is not manifest in their private lives. And really, folks, except for unbelief, hypocrisy was the one sin that Jesus Christ condemned more than any. In Matthew chapter 5, verse, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus says, Thou hypocrite. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, ye hypocrite. In Luke chapter 12, verse 56, Jesus says, ye hypocrite. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 15, Jesus says, you hypocrite. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let, you, let love be without dissimulation. That means let love be without hypocrisy. And the Apostle Paul could honestly testify to his integrity in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. But the Greek word for sincere also has the idea of cohesiveness, oneness, unity. Folks, listen, there are parts and, and practices that make up the Christian life. I think that so many Christians fail. I think that we fail so much in our life because sometimes we think that things are just supposed to work a certain way. Right? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Things are just supposed to work a certain way. I, I shouldn't 
battle certain things and uh, things just should just work. And they're frustrated when it doesn't. Let me illustrate. Let me give you this crude illustration, okay? The Christian life, let's, let's, let's take a, let's, I'm always good at this, let's take a food illustration. My wife used to bake bread. My wife knows how to bake good bread. In fact, my wife's bread would make a menace spit in a whale's face. But it's not enough. I think living this sincere Christian life is a lot like baking bread. I told you it's going to be crude. And you're wondering where I'm going with this, aren't you? Just hang tight. Buckle up. We'll get there. It's not enough just to pour in the ingredients in a pan and just stick it in the oven. And hope that it produces bread. It may produce something, but it probably ain't going to be bread. All the ingredients, folks, must... If you cooks, don't correct me now. All the ingredients must be properly mixed. Every ingredient must must touch another ingredient. And, And what it does is it forms a common, cohesive, single unit. And, by, and then at the end of the, end of the day, the result is you've got bread because everything has worked together. And by application, there are other things that must work together to form the sincere life of the Christian. There must be spiritual disciplines, church. There must be Bible reading. There must be prayer. There must be worship. There must be theology. There must be morality. There must be good works. And when all those things work together and each one of them touches another, that's what produces the Christian life. If you're just sitting here thinking, God bless me, everything is going to work out, you're going to fall flat on your face. Because everything in your life must work together. Your morality must touch Bible reading. Your morality must touch touch worship. They all have to work together. That's why Paul builds. He says, "I, I pray that your love would grow. That you would experience the Word of God. That you would have discernment in order that you would be able to test everything. Test the good from the best. And practice not the good thing in your life, church. Stop practicing what is good. Stop letting your kids do what is good and make them do what is best. What is best. Form in them the habits of what is best. Not just what is good. Because there are a lot of good things that can harmfully reflect in your kid's life. Because it's not the best. Test those things in order that you may have the integrity so that when the cracks in your life are shown, you can be taught by the Word of God and those cracks will be filled in with truth. And the process continues on and on. Paul doesn't stop there. There is the display of excellence. There is the demeanor of genuineness. And then number three, there's the dedication of righteousness. Look at verse 10. Look how Paul builds. That ye may be sincere and what? Without offense. Without offense. This whole prayer of Paul that he's praying 
is so that God's people would be, at this point, without offense. I like what the word offense means. It literally means we, it could be translated blameless. And in some translations it says blameless. But it literally means it's the idea of causing not to stumble. Causing not to stumble. Not, uh, not causing someone to stumble by promotion of sin by action or lifestyle. The Apostle Paul gave the same uh, sense of the word that, that with the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, where Paul says, give none offense. He says, I'm not a stumbling block for the Jews or to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. It can also literally mean to be free from harm. Paul says, I live in such a way in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, he says, I live in such a way that I'm not an offense to people. I live in such a way that I don't cause other people to stumble. And the overall prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Philippian believers and our overall prayer for each other and your overall prayer for yourself is that you would have the faculties in your life starting with love. Love for God, love for the Word of God, and you would have the faculties in your life that have flush, all flushes down to where you have trained yourself to prefer good over evil. And that your life is not a stumbling to someone else. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We can say with Calvin that he said that by sincerity we live honorably in the sight of God, but by blameless we live honorably in the sight of men in order that we may not injure our neighbor by any evil example. End quote. Paul's prayer, Paul's wish, Paul's desire for this church is that, man, you just love God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? I had a pastor come up to me. He's come up to me several times. He's a, he's, a, he's a good friend, but he comes up to me sometimes and says, Michael, I just love Jesus. But he has absolutely no sanctification in his life. You can say all day, I just love Jesus. That doesn't mean anything. That's just where it starts. That's just the beginning, folks. It doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, you really don't love Jesus. You may love the things that Jesus has done for you. You may love the idea of Jesus. There's this vast difference between loving what Jesus has done for you and loving the idea of Jesus and truly loving Christ. It all starts with love. Love for the Word of God. Love for God. So that you'd be able to discern good and bad, right and false, truth and error. So that you'll be able to test things. You'll be able to examine things. You can't examine things, folks, if you don't have discernment, can you? And you can't have discernment if you don't know the Word of God. And you won't know the Word of God unless you love the God of the Word. That's how the progression works. That's why Paul prays in the order that he prays. Love, Word, discernment, testing. Because they build on each other. 
so that you will be able to test everything and choose what is best over what is just good. So that you'd have integrity. Listen, folks, it's not that we don't have cracks, is it? Every one of us have got cracks. That's why Paul says we have this treasure. What kind of vessels? Earthen vessels. We're just cracked pots. Worthless. Replaceable. Dispensable. And it's not, church, that we, none of us have cracks. It's not that Paul is praying that they would fill in their cracks because he doesn't have any. Paul says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Paul says in Romans 7 that every time I turn around, I'm doing what I don't want to do and I'm not doing what I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul had cracks. And so church is not the point that we have integrity to the point that we don't have cracks. Integrity doesn't mean that you don't have cracks. Integrity means that you take the cracks when they're exposed to you by the word of God and you don't rebel against that truth. You fill up the crack with the truth of God's word. Anybody can sit in truth and get mad and get upset and get rebellious because truth has revealed a crack in your life. But it takes a person that's got integrity, spiritual integrity to say, yeah, that's me. Man, I don't like it, man. It's rubbed me the wrong way, boy. I, 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 man, I punch that preacher right in the nose. Spiritual integrity says, yes, that's me. Yeah, the Word of God revealed a crack in my life today. But I'm not going to rebel against it. I want the Word of God to fill in that crack. That church is integrity. Integrity is not being sinless. Integrity is not being perfect. Integrity is not having any cracks. Integrity is having the cracks, but wanting the Word of God to fill the cracks when the Word of God reveals the cracks. That's integrity, and that's what's missing in churches today. That's Paul's prayer for his church, for these believers. I want you to be sincere in order that you would not cause people to stumble. You'd not cause people to stumble. Somebody could not look at your life and trip over themselves spiritually because of the way you act and the way you behave. But where does it all start, church? Verse 9. Love. Truly loving the Word of God the way you should, truly loving God the way you should, that's where it starts. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this truth. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that some of these things are hard to hear. Some of these things were difficult for me to type and write down because the Holy Spirit of God pricked my heart. And Father, I thank you for that because, Father, I want the cracks in my life shown, and I know these people do as well. We want the cracks in our life to be revealed and we don't want there to be any open gaps in our spiritual life. We want the cracks to be filled by the Word of God. Lord, help our love to increase. Help our love for you to grow more and more, abound more and more in the real knowledge, the experiential knowledge of your Word. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you, Father, that 
it does have the power to change. It not only has the power to save, it has the power to change lives. And, and it has the power to continue our progressive sanctification. Father, I praise you this morning that your word is true. I praise you this morning, Father, that you are faithful. Father, may we be a church that loves you, that loves your word. It's changed by it. Father, so that we can have discernment. So that we can examine those things in our life to see if we have the things in our life that are excellent. May the Spirit of God ask the question today of our hearts. In our life right now, do we have the things that are excellent or just the things that are good? Are we allowing the good things in our life to override what is best? Father, you want us to test everything so the things in our life are superior, excellent, the best. Help us, Father, to be able to discern what is good and what is best. So that we will have the integrity to allow the Word of God to fill in the spiritual cracks in our life so that we will not be people that cause others to stumble. What a prayer. And there's so much more here, Father. Thank you for what you have revealed in your truth. May you continue to reveal it further as we continue to study these truths. Maybe you're here this morning and you will say, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never really truly been born again. I've never trusted Christ. I've never repented. And trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, today is the day of salvation. And I would encourage you this morning that if the Lord has spoken to your heart, that you would find me before you leave here today and we can show you from the Word of God how to trust Christ today. And for that Christian who would say, I've got some cracks in my life. The light of God's word was shown on me today and there's some cracks. I haven't done a good job of choosing the best over the, over the good, the excellent over the good. I haven't, done the, I haven't done a good job of that, but I want to. The word of God is always here to guide us and show us what is the good versus what is the best. Father, give us a people, give us a heart that wants the best, not just the good. Father, we thank you and praise you. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. 
Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6.30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6.30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world until Christ come. And now from all of us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and Divine Truth, thank you so much for listening and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.